You're listening to the Seaworthy Podcast, Episode 3, Telling Tales and Wrestling Whales. Seaworthy is a podcast about building successful software. Today we're talking about differentiating your business through effective storytelling with Ben Johnson of Elegant Seagulls. Good guys, thanks for having me. Excited, yeah. yeah. First guest on the podcast. I hope I can live up to those expectations. That sounds like a lot, a well, lot of pressure. There are no expectations <laughs> yet, so that's lucky. Yeah, Ben. So, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and and a little bit of, of what you do? Yeah. So, Ben Johnson. Uh, I'm the owner, creative director, of Elegant Seagulls. So, I started Elegant Seagulls. Um, this will be our tenth year. August fifteenth will be. 10 years, which is kind of blow my mind. It doesn't congrats. seem, yeah, congrats doesn't seem like it's been that long, but um, we're a digital agency, really focus on um, highly creative and forward thinking web experiences and trying to inject personality and storytelling into designs. I think that's really become part of what differentiates us from a lot of our competitors. Um, we're a small team, we've got 10 people. Um, I think, I, I don't know if I said, based in Marquette, Michigan. I know you guys know where Marquette is, but Marquette, it's in the Upper Peninsula, in the yeah. UP, Upers. So, um, big tech. It's a huge, scene. it's probably like one step below San Francisco as far <laughs> as like tech boom. So, it's like kind of the startup epicenter right now. Um, no, it's like 25,000 people. And so, it's pretty small, but it's it's been really cool that we can work with clients, you know, across the United States and internationally from Marquette, which um, half the time we have clients, they pull up, they're like, where are you guys on the map? The people live there, so right. um, it's kind of funny. I said Canada. Yeah, exactly. And then I actually get that there's like a Uber accent, so a lot of people will say they'll they'll think that we're like have a Canadian twang to it. So surfer Canadian, I get that yeah. a lot. Because <laughs> you do surf Superior. Right? Yep, surfing like Superior. So I've been surfing for about seven or eight years, and then um, it's just all like wind chop, but super fun and not very good, but yeah. give it give it my best. And I actually didn't know that until we uh, we actually met finally face to face out in Hawaii last year at Epic here in North Shore. Um, so it was fun uh, shredding some waves with you, and didn't even know people surfed. I think Gene Ross um, he said he went out with you a few yep, times. Yep. And, uh, got pretty winded paddling out there against the waves. So yeah, actually, um, a funny story is I tried to hire Andrew. Is how we first met. I like found him on. I was blowing up people on dribble in the Midwest, and I was like. Your work's awesome. You should come work for me. And he's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I tried hard. But we we've got to be friends since then, and um, so it's always fun to like actually like meet these people that you have these weird relationships with online, and so um, and they actually like live up to the hype. So it's it was cool to that we've become friends. It's also funny that that happened out in Hawaii, not right. In, yeah, in the Midwest. I know. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we're not that far away. <laughs> yeah. three, three hours away, and we met in Hawaii. So, yeah, for sure. Um, so last night you gave a talk at Digital Fertilizer about design storytelling and using experimentation and empathy to create compelling brands and stories. Can you maybe talk more about that and boil that down for those that that kind of missed it? Yeah, I think the it's kind of the core of it was like taking risks and, and one of the big pieces of the talk and then also just trying to make sure that you, that you put yourselves in the shoes of your client first and foremost to really understand like their goals and objectives and who they are mm-hmm. and what they're trying to do and what they're trying to accomplish 
And by doing so, I think you can have a better understanding of like reading between the lines and seeing what they're trying to accomplish and create something that's unique for them. Um, and the other part of that is then having empathy and really sitting down and thinking uh, very closely with, with what their clients are all about and who they are and what they do and why would they want to come to the site? Why would they want to purchase this product? Why would they want to buy your business um, services? And so through doing that, you can kind of create something that's more unique, more tailored to them, a little bit more aspirational and guide them through the page and kind of become their narrator through the story and, and take them through the website versus just bombarding them with the same old stuff. And so a lot of the talk was focused around how can you make your business unique and stand out. Um, so I, I would use the analogy of like wrestling a whale, like you want to become that forward thinker and the industry leader versus just copying what everyone else in your industry is doing. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and that's big too. In, in you know, you look at the trends on the web or Dribble or front page. Everything's so similar um, that it's hard to stand out. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of great design, great visual design, um, but part of that too is probably like the messaging, right? And that's a big part of telling the story. Um, so here, you know, we believe that messaging is a big part of UX because it sets the expectations for the users when they finally do download the app that they actually get value from it. Um, can you talk a little bit about how messaging affects that experience when it comes to brands, e-commerce, and maybe some other industries that you're in? Well, there's, I think that message, I mean, there's still like the whole, the content is king piece. And then also like that voice, like I think the voice goes really hand in hand. And when we're developing the site, it's all those pieces have to work together mm -hmm. seamlessly. So the content, the voice, the imagery, the design, the layout, and then everything down to like the animations um, and those subtle interactions. So um, making sure that it's all like a cohesive, consistent message across everything on right. the site is super important. I think that's where some people will lose it. They might have really great content, but the horrible photography or, or you know, a bad, um, somewhere disjointed experience. So mm -hmm. I think it's like a consistency standpoint is where you where it really needs to shine um and i think as far as what people are doing is is every business is so unique and different and so how can you go online and basically just knock off or copy whatever is trendy and current on dribble or online or behance or it might be and force that to work for your client versus tailoring something that's specific to them and their mm -hmm. needs and that was sort of part of what i think has really bothered me in the industry right now is that there's no innovation as far as like trying to do something that not only is unique but also is actually like correct for mm -hmm. your client and so that's a fine gray area of like i think um and i've been guilty of it where you push something too far for your own creative pursuits versus mm -hmm. what's right for the client right um but i see a lot of i think young designers doing that and and they're just more designing to design mm -hmm. versus trying to actually solve some sort of problem right so, so what advice would you give to designers or entrepreneurs about you know they have these assumptions on what they want they maybe find some inspiration in other sites or uh, other apps and stuff what advice would you give them to kind of try and break the mold and think outside the box to you know not not conform to kind of the design trends and norms to make something that's more timeless and unique uh i think the biggest thing is being will willing willing to um it's if it's like with clients you have to educate them that mm -hmm. what's the value with doing something different because um, so many of these clients, they see like my competitors are doing X, Y, and Z, so I should be doing X, Y, and Z. Right. And it's really hard to for them to get out of outside of that mindset. And so it's educating them of like what the value is of becoming 
innovative and different. Mm -hmm. So I think through that piece is from a client side is really important. But the other part is I think just being willing to, um, you don't want to fail. I mean, obviously no one wants to fail. And right. it's, it's a huge, um, half the time I'm like, this is going to fail, you know, like, and you have this anxiety behind it. But I think it's trusting yourself and, and trusting the decisions you're making and and stepping outside of your comfort zone to really do something different. And I think where you where you're pushing that risk area and you're right on the verge of of failure is where you're finding the most creative places, the most mm -hmm. creative designs. Um, and I, there's times like I don't even know if I've quite hit there because I throttle back right. and because you're nervous. And it, you know I still think that I um, even trying to push myself to like the edge I still get nervous that it's like stupid or this is people aren't going to get it or this is not right right and um I think that's just a struggle that a lot of designers face and um I think people when they're putting their work out there they're just worried it's not going to be accepted and so it's easier to conform and go with what is cool and trendy um so that's sort of you know like I think just from that mentality yeah yeah that's really good advice um can you Maybe give us an example of how, you know, this has paid off for one of your clients. Um, maybe they came came into it with some uh, a more traditional view of what they wanted their site or their brand to be. Um, do you have any concrete numbers or performance or any any kind of success stories that um, kind of? Uh, I yeah. guess you know. <laughs> no, I understand. What you're, yeah. I, so, yeah. like, we had we've had a handful of clients that have. Um, really made a huge mark in the like just from more of an organic perspective just as far as like they just came out and people were like whoa this is different mm -hmm. and um from like a very like small level we've uh, or a low uh, like a less um exposure level we've done some things for like some insurance companies like we did a local insurance company that's like where i have my insurance through mm -hmm. and it was really way more focused on like the people and their processes and their history right and then plus yeah we have great insurance so i was like it's just how can you make it more interesting and take this was typically a more mundane um not exciting industry mm -hmm. um and we created this site experience for them and they go to like these conferences now and people are like you guys have the best site mm -hmm. in the insurance industry and you guys like who did your site how do we get a site like this what did you do yeah. and so like they're getting tons of just praise from within the industry but then also they've seen from their standpoint a huge increase in their um recruitment and that was one of their goals for the site was not just to educate their clients but it's for a, as a recruitment tool because right. they continue to grow and expand and they want to attract young talent so they're like how can we make sure we're attracting this younger talent um and part of that was through their website and so that was one example the other example would be um tens was a project we took on and it's something I talked about last night is we took on tens and we really didn't make hardly anything through tens, but mm -hmm. it was a project where they were really interested in telling that story and pushing the boundaries and doing something different and having a unique shopping experience. And they really gave us a lot of free reign mm -hmm. and also um, had some great ideas of their own. And so it was a really cool collaboration. And through that, um, we, they ended up seeing a huge increase in sales from their um, site before. And then also they had, um, they won tons of award, awards for the site. Right. And so they got a lot of exposure from like different channels and, um, and ended up winning, um, 
e-commerce of the year for um, CSS or mm-hmm. CSS awards, and then it also um, was up for a Webby, and so like it got just a lot of like cool exposure from like a unique e-commerce standpoint. So that was huge for us, and I think huge for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the sites evolved from there, and so that's a good example. Like someone at the talk last night was asking about like how do you know when to evolve the site, and how do you know when to change and pivot, mm-hmm. and. I think that for them it was a lot of through like their A-B testing and seeing how people were using the site and then now that as their name and brand has grown it was like we were just really they wanted to they drifted a little bit away from the story to more just like here's our products like buy them Um, which is interesting because it's it goes to show like that sometimes how much of the story you're telling is is too much or not enough and so it's finding that sweet spot for what's right for the client and and continue to evaluate and test the site and see what's working and what's not working. And that's something that we've really been pushing hard with is finding the balance between best practices from a usability and a conversion standpoint, but still pushing boundaries because you can definitely push too far. Mm-hmm. I was talking to someone last night, I had Bob, um, and he was like, you know, I go to some of these sites and I had like, I don't even know where I am or how to navigate or like I get lost. I'm like, what's happening? And I go to sites and I'm like, I feel like I'm pretty up on what's happening in the right. web and I'm still like, I'm lost. Like where the heck, how do I get to their portfolio or like, how do I contact these guys? Mm-hmm. And, um, so I still think there's gotta be that fine line between what's actually like working and what people are expecting and versus like progressiveness for just the sake of progressive. So. Yep. And do you work with a lot of clients in that when you're iterating and AB or multivariate testing, do you guys do a lot of that or is that kind of, um, I wish we did more. I mean, we do quite a bit of it. Um, it depends on the clients. Like some clients, you know, we have really great long-term relationships and they're mm-hmm. very like, they, they really see huge value or their, or the website is their primary tool. So like that is their business tool. So like yeah. they're going to continue to invest and refine and, um, constantly iterate. And we have some clients that are like, we're super amped on our site and we like it and it's working and, you know, this is and and they'll they'll come back or we'll try to be proactive and make suggestions, but it really depends on the client. And so, um, I think the ones that we're more hands on with, we, we're m- more iterative as far as like refining and continuing to tweak. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that kind of goes along with a lot of what we believe too about you know agreeing on value and outcomes and not just you know art or creativity for creativity's sake, yep. but that end outcome you know kind of in mind. It sounds like you guys employ that same kind of mentality, which is great because you can kill a lot of the designer client debates yeah. um, just by agreeing on what those outcomes are and kind of helping that guide some of your decisions. Yeah. And you talked a lot about kind of pushing the envelope with design, um, finding a unique style for each customer. But what are some of the ways that you get to that? I mean, is it all, is it kind of disappear, go into 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 the mole mode and like come out with uh, with a few ideas or are you out there talking to their customers or um is it you mentioned collaboration with some of your clients some ideas fall out of um but where does where does a lot of the inspiration come from so i think the first to go back to like kind of the first point of like really understanding the client and their audience the best we can so whatever information we can gather whether it's from the actual clients whether it's from their the um the actual customers or whether it's the client's interpretation of the customers like but just trying to gather as much as we can and then taking all of that and and a lot of it is kind of um for me is like asking questions that are maybe somewhat up up topic and trying to like gather some information that would maybe just be like less default like what's your brand who are your clients who's your 
who are your um, competitors? Like the standard questions you're always gonna ask, but like mm-hmm. some questions that can kind of give like insight toward sort of, like behind the scenes. Uh, and that was someone asked me like, well, what are those questions? And it's really hard because every client's so different. So it's very like a freestyle, just sort of a off the cuff sort of feel them out as far as what those questions would be. And, and I don't really have a super stock answer for that. But then as far as inspiration, taking all the information that we can from the client and then just going back and, and very old school, I sketch a lot and I don't draw a lot of inspiration from other sites. I, I try specifically not to, like I'll look at other sites and I try to always be aware of like trends on what's happening, but um, I gather more of my inspiration from like print and um, more old school graphic designers and art and then nature. Like mm-hmm. I was saying last night, I was like, I was joking. I was like, it sounds so cheesy. And even saying that, I'm like, I gather from nature. But I, for me, that's a huge inspiration. Like I'll just be out walking my dogs and I'll just be like marinating and mulling over a project in my head and like just thinking about it and just kind of clear my mind. And um, I'm away from the computer. And so it's kind of detaching from the computer for me has been a huge um, difference in inspiration. And then, um, and then it just exploring. Like I'm, I'll not be afraid to like go down an odd path when I'm designing. So like I might have a preconceived idea of what I want to do, and almost like this mood board and of sketches and concepts. And when I'm, I don't lock myself into that. So if all of a sudden I'm working and I see something or something jumps out to me, like as I'm designing, I'll go down that path and I'll just kind of explore that and it, maybe it's a dead end and it doesn't work and it takes me nowhere but I think just being able to like roll with it and explore those things that come up because sometimes those happy mistakes can be the most earth shattering things and change your whole design you're like this thing is bang or not mm-hmm. even move this layer yeah. by accident <laughs> and that's happened to me I like moved a layer and I was like that looks so sick. I was like, <laughs> I was like, that's it. This is it. This like, is and it. that was like shaped the whole design. So, um, I, I, I feel like that exploration process is mine's not very rigid. Um, and I was telling, um, talking last night is I think about it more as a whole cohesive piece. I think that goes to the story. So I don't think about it as like, here's a block, here's a block, here's a block, here's a block, here's a block. And like, it doesn't matter how they work together. I think about them as content blocks and sections because they're each telling their own piece of the puzzle, but I have to make sure they all work together and they flow. And so I'm drawing someone's eye through the page and I'm really taking them where I want them through the page. Uh, and that for me has become like a real cornerstone of like my design aesthetic. So I forget what the question was, but hopefully no, that's <laughs> good. You answered I it. went on a huge tangent. No, but... that, is, that is awesome. <laughs> um, so hopefully that helps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I guess that's kind of a follow-up to that. How do you validate that with some of these designs are producing? I mean, you may think it's great, but how do you determine whether it is effective? Um, I mean, do you, you mentioned A-B testing a little bit. Yeah. Uh, do you do customer interviews, or is it more kind of up to the clients um, and how they feel about it? Or We don't do a ton of that. Like, it's something that uh, we're doing more and more of. Um, I think a lot of it is like the looking at just the analytics and just sort of traditional like how is it performing um and then i think just sort of the client's reaction to of how like it's being perceived by their customers and their audience and their team mm-hmm. um it's been really interesting for us too is like a lot of the sites we've done they they're they're almost doing it for like they don't care about like getting new business they're as busy as they need to be Okay. But they, you know what I mean? And so, like, if whether it's for recruitment or whether it's just, like, to look the part or whatever it might be, um, 
So, like, those have very different objectives than, like, I'm selling this microphone. You know, so it's, it's um, every project's so different. And I think that's why we've sort of adapted this more, like, this freestyle approach to even how we interact with clients mm-hmm. is because everyone is so unique. So we don't necessarily have, like, a... We have some set practices to flow through and, and work through with clients, but um, it's not like a... A, B, C, D, E, F, right. G. Like, you have to follow this, mm-hmm. and that's how we work. Um, and I think that's just sort of more adaptiveness has is, is been helpful for us to kind of come to those, you know, the best conclusions. Yeah, so I was curious, how do you guys introduce, like, this story, like, from your customers? Like, I mean, um, since you guys do more app development and we don't really do a lot of that at Elegant Seagulls, I'm curious to see how do you guys kind of like inject that personality or, or capture that from your audience and your, or your customers and then integrate that into the applications and what's your process for that? I'm going to defer to Andrew yeah. on that one. Um, so, I mean, a lot of the same things, you know, it's empathizing, it's, it's learning about the customer, you know, what are their fears, what are their emotions as they might find a fit for this product in their life or have a problem um, that we could solve. So a lot of it is, you know, learning about them. We do a lot of user interviews and stuff like that. We try to get to the root of what the problem is and what their motivation is to solve the problem. You know, why is it valuable to them? And, um, you know, why does it really matter? And so when we do that, we find it's a lot easier to tell that story, you know, in web form um, because we understand their pain points or the questions that they ask or, um, you know, and you can kind of lead them down similar um like you said, you know, lead them down this track of, you know, they have certain problems and we have that solution for them or this is what their life looks like before they use this app. This is how it can help you, you know, live better, um, connect with family, whatever whatever the app's doing. Um, so using that to um, inform it is, is something that, you know, we've learned works really well. It's hard to um, create copy and understand your users. Um, without kind of doing those things we've found. So like we kind of do the app stuff first and we find, you know, the major value props of how this is creating value for them and then we can better communicate that to them. Yeah, yeah. it's it's almost a little backwards for us okay. I would say because we focus on just nailing this, you know, nailing the problem and then finding the right solution and we don't even make any assumptions about who the customer actually is because we know some of that's going to change so much from yeah. what people come in with. So um, that's kind of the next step after we feel like we found that kind of product market fit. We move on to that and get to know the customer a little better. Yeah, that makes sense. I like what you said about just like communication because that was something that I've been like grappling with just myself is that, you know, it was like I kind of, there's been so much stuff I was talking about a little bit last night about mm-hmm. like what like what should designers do and designers should do this or designers should do that or designers shouldn't do this and mm-hmm. Um, should designers code or, and or all of that there's a right. lot there's a lot going on like that and like people like I know at the root definition of like a designer is like a problem solver but for me like the root of being a designer at least the type of design that I'm creating from mm-hmm. like a web perspective is more like communication and so like when you're talking about like what are you communicating like what is that yep. message so um, I think that we're still trying to like communicate something to this audience whether it's clicking that button or buying this product or signing up or whatever it might be so it's like, I feel like that sometimes is lost, you yeah. know? Yeah, for sure. I think you touched on it last night a little bit about personas. Sometimes you get handed a persona and that's like an assumption. So yep. sometimes what we do is we'll create, um, 
we call them, it's the first version of our personas, we call them BS personas. Okay. But like, like <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll get down who we think our customer is, yep. what they need, what family life is like, all this stuff. And then we'll go do interviews. Okay. Right. And then we'll come back and revisit those personas and just see how much they've changed. Do they fit? Yeah. And like, they usually change quite a bit. Sometimes it's the roles are reversed, right? We thought this was the mother. It's actually the father who's leading this um, or vice versa. And we can learn a lot. Um, so we work really collaboratively with our clients and yep. so they're part of that process. And so I think once we start challenging those assumptions of even who they are, right, without even proposing a solution, you know, we can really start to see the value of like going towards these outcomes and not like operating only on those assumptions. Um, well, it's, it's interesting because like we've had clients too where you, they'd have a product that you think would be like super male dominated and you, I would assume that yeah. males are buying this product. And then when we actually went through and evaluated like their sales data and just some of like the just information that they could have and, and digesting it, it was like, well, 90% of our customers are women. Mm-hmm. So like, why, you know, why are we doing this like super tough manly site? Like this should be, you know, it has to be a little bit more universal and let's really think about like who's buying this product mm-hmm. um, without losing what makes the product great, you know? So it's like, you know, and what the brand's all about. So. It's, it's interesting that like, um, cause those personas I think are sometimes just so general or mm-hmm. like you said, the, I like the term the BS personas because it's like, <laughs> I'm like, this can't really be who's buying this, mm-hmm. you know, or like this can't really be who came up with this, you right. know? So, but I do think there's value. Like the person, um, the girl that last night that asked about how do you communicate to like her communicating to her dev team, they were not understanding the story of it and like the, some of that side of it. And for someone like that, I think like having some sort of personas could be really great because then it gives you a universal way to communicate to mm-hmm. them. Um, right. So, or even or even connecting that, you know, getting the developers more involved. Yeah. And with, you know, with the users being able to understand what they do, it's so easy. You know, as a designer, a visual designer, or a developer to um, like really be led by your hard skills and the craft and yeah. say this is right. You know, without asking the question if this is creating the right value or if we're solving the right problem. Um, that's where that soft skill comes in, you know, being able to communicate with people and um, understand, you know, where they're coming from, what their pain points are and how this fits into their life. Um, you know, so there's that disconnect yeah. there. If you, if they're not involved, it's hard to relay that. Well, I think it's cool. You guys have a very similar, I think, just office um culture as far as like everyone's collaborating and working together so whether you have the designers and developers and they're all like working on you know in conjunction mm-hmm. like i think that same way at seagulls is that like you have all these different minds coming together and you're the developers are going to understand the same end goal as the designers do so um there's hopefully less of that disconnect right and it seems like you, i love that you guys kind of have that same workflow here because uh we've we've run into problems sometimes where we're handing off to development team and there does become this really distinct disconnect because they weren't involved in all of like the pre, they just see build this. Right. Um, and they don't have all of the background. And so when they're making any kind of like on the fly decisions, are they understanding the true objective? So mm-hmm. I think that if that, com- that piece of communication is super critical to the success. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and everyone really is a designer, you know, yeah. like to approach it that way that, you know, design is just kind of, making decisions with intent for like an outcome. So we, we like to get, you know, cross-functional teams, developers, stakeholders, whoever in a room, maybe even special guests that are knowledgeable in the domain so that 
you know, we can agree on the right things. Everyone brings a different perspective to it, um, which I think is really helpful. And obviously helpful when you get into the hard skills, you understand why yeah. you're doing this. Oh, uh, definitely. That's important. So um, I guess kind of wrapping up here, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs um, that are just starting out creating a startup or a business? Um, what advice would you give about storytelling and maybe differentiation for them? I, I think the big advice is that just you've got it. You've got to take the risk. Like you take starting your business is a huge risk, mm. and you're gonna make tons of mistakes. I talked about this a bit last night. Is that it's a trial by fire, and you you gotta look at each mistake and and learn from it and grow from it and take something away. But as far as um, start from like the business side and storytelling is like know what you're good at. And I think once you can figure out like what your focus is in your business and actually like know like this is what we're good at and mm. we're gonna do this versus spreading yourself so thin across different avenues. And then um, really look at what everyone else is doing and think about why they're doing it and then why, how you can improve upon that and make it your own. And just, I think just people have to be willing and confident to, to take that jump. I mean, it's really nothing more than just committing to, uh, we're gonna set, tell our own story right. and then and doing it there's really not a lot of like other advice besides this i think you have to you have to try right um and don't don't settle for mediocrity and you know um i'd rather shoot for you know all the way and then find somewhere like maybe fall somewhere in between but like go for it you know give it a full pull for sure um how can people find you uh so elegantseagulls.com uh the business site you can check out the Jack Dusty stuff at imjackdusty.com. And then Twitter is at Elegant Seagulls. Instagram would be imjackdusty. And then um, I've got a new project in the works, sort of top secret, I'll announce it here maybe, but it's called Jack Dusty's Poop Deck. <laughs> and um, You heard it here first. Yeah, the whole thought behind it is I had a lot of people that were interested in the Jack Dusty experiment, and I draw a lot of inspiration from other designers and artists, so what I want to do is interview them about their style and their process and like how do they create and then keep it pretty informal and just kind of fun and then based on their process and their style and their inspiration i want to do a concept based on that Mm -hmm. information from that approach from that approach and their style so like maybe they're really into patterns or whatever it might be um and they do they sketch underwater, like I'm gonna sketch underwater, whatever, right. you know what I mean? Like, um, that's probably the worst example, but you, and uh, but my goal is to have people do it with me. So let's say I interview someone and I'm like, okay, in two weeks from now, I'm gonna show this mock and I'd like to have anyone that wants to do it with me mm-hmm. show their mocks and make it sort of a community-driven thing. So um, we'll see if I can get people to do it with me. I'm gonna do it no matter what, so, um, but I think it'd be kind of cool. So. Is I'm working on the site right now, and then um, kind of like I've got my first couple interviews planned out, so it should be coming hopefully soon. So it's cool. still a passion project, but Jack Dusty's poop deck will be around sometime soon. So <laughs> looking forward to it. <laughs> it's okay. You can give a hard date. No, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I can't do that. <laughs> oh no, I'll be in trouble. But no, I really. Yeah, it will be. Uh, it'll be kind of a wild ride. So we'll see how it goes. Sure. Where the name Elegant Seagulls come from? So um, I was big into snowboarding, and we used to always do funny names for our snowboarding videos. So like we had one that was like Tickle Fight or whatever, like just like weird names. 
And my friends and I were out, and we saw these seagulls flying by. And one of my buddies was like, those are some beautiful seagulls. And I was like, those are elegant seagulls. And then it just sort of stuck. And that was the name of my senior pro- my senior thesis project in college was Elegant Seagulls. And it was all the branding and um, everything. It was just sort of this fun oxymoron. And then when I started my business, I was like, I need a name for my business. And my mom's like, you've got all this stuff for Elegant Seagulls. Let's just use that. I was like, all right. And that was it. That was like the business <laughs> decision. It was nice. just literally like, I'll just call it Elegant Seagulls. And... Um, the brand stuff has evolved since like it was actually like we're doing a 10-year site right now that's gonna be launching really soon that has like the original elegant seagull site the original logo some of the old like really old just random stuff mm-hmm. so uh it'd be, it was kind of fun to go back through like the archives and find that so that that's gonna be coming soon so people can see the whole kind of history and some of the info on seagulls so yes yeah. that's cool um yeah, well, we, thanks for coming on the show. We yeah. appreciate it. Thanks, yeah, you guys. coming down, and it was a great talk last night as well at Digital Fertilizer. Yeah, it was awesome. And I, I mean, what better Jack Dusty on Seaworthy? So, I mean, it's uh, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> just to end it, um, um, Ben came on the stage with an eye patch. So <laughs> it, was, uh, <laughs> it was pretty good. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you can find us. Uh, find me on Twitter at Averbs. And Chris Schmitz at CC Schmitz. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and we'll see you guys in two weeks. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Seaworthy. Connect with us on Twitter at SeaworthyFM. And make sure to subscribe, ask questions, and leave feedback on the Remarks app. We'll see you again in two weeks.